No reason why I'm showing that, just liked it, you know. <laughs> I saw it on my birthday. We were over on, hol on holiday, and I went and saw it in 3D, and it's, it's an hour and 45 minutes of, of just, you know, explosions and stuff. It's a lot of fun. But I found it interesting because for a little while now, we've been talking about doing a little series on, called Heroes. And, and this, if there is anything, summarizes our idea of superheroes today, this kind of imagery of the superhuman being. But I found this wonderful verse out of the New Living Translation. The godly people in the land, says the Lord, are my true heroes. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. Isn't it interesting how God sees things differently to the way we see? And, I, and I've, so I've got you know, good news for you, that, and it's simply this, that superheroes don't wear capes. They don't wear capes, they don't wear you know, you know, face masks and all this other stuff. Although I must say, this is for the blokes, I, I thought you might like this. I, I, I thought it might be a bonding exercise, so I've want, gone out and I bought a hundred pair of green tights and we're gonna wear them and run around the maltings next Saturday. You're in, are you joining me guys? Yeah. Superheroes don't wear capes in God's kingdom. In fact, superheroes are utterly different to the kind of thing we see out of Hollywood, as much as we might enjoy an hour and a half of escapism like that. You know, superheroes are like Roy and Christine Gregory. Roy and Christine Gregory, some of you may know, pastor the Ashley Hall Free Evangelical Church on the corner, just down the road there. You know, they were the first people to welcome Fliss and myself into this city 25 years ago. Quite a few people gave us a wide berth, to be honest, but they reached out. They, they reached out and they welcomed us. And actually, it is not known, generally, but Roy Gregory, Roy and Christine, are the longest-serving ministers in this city. They've been here for over 30 years, faithfully serving. And for all the hullabaloo that there may be at Vineyard or at the cathedral, all the rest of it, you know, God knows where his heroes are in this city, and those guys are heroes. And I'm gonna, we're going to be looking at some of God's heroes over the next few weeks, but I want to introduce you to some of our heroes. We have heroes in this place too. I'm looking at many of you, but would you welcome with me now, please, the Tanzanian team. Thank you very much, Richard. Good afternoon, guys. So my name is Richard. I'm on staff here. We uh, run something called the Discipleship Year, and these guys have just or who won the Discipleship Year. Uh, this is Andy, V, Jesse, James, uh, Emma, and uh, Simon's also here, but is kind of at home at the moment, so he's not quite here. Um, but uh, these guys have just returned from Tanzania in Africa. Uh, where they've gone out for a, uh, just over a week-long mission trip. Um, and it's been an incredible privilege to send them uh, to uh, a, a Rusha vineyard out there who's led by um, David and Judy Owens, who are Celeste Owens, the youth leader, uh, pastor here. Uh, it's her, her parents. And what they do is they train and equip local people for, for life and for ministry. So I'm going to ask these guys a few questions just so you can find out a bit more. First of all, I've got to ask you the basic one. What did you guys see out there? What did you do out there? Let's start with you, James. Um, so pretty much as soon as we got there, we were thrown straight into the deep end, whisked off to this Maasai village, four hours down a mud track. Um, there were 
what did we do there? There was a, a school, a technical college, devotions, worship. We killed a goat. If anyone's got a strong stomach, that's on Emma's Facebook. So you can uh, have a look at that. Um, when we came back from that, we went to a disabled school, school for disabled children. We went to uh, an orphanage. We went to an inherit your rights place where they offer legal advice to orphans and widows. And we were invited to play football with this team and just a massive, massive amount of things. Um, with the donations, we invested in the disabled school. We invested in the Maasai village. We invested in the church. We invested in the orphanage. So just a massive amount of things. Yeah. yeah um so we went to the to Maasai village to talk to um, the community about how they do business out there. And um, just first, it was just so inspiring to see people trying to make something out of nothing. Um, they don't have any transport, very little resources. They're all in similar businesses trying to make money, and none of them are really able to do that. So, um, yeah, we just talked um, as a team about ways that they could pull together to bring their resources together. Um, but most importantly, what they needed is training. Because, um, you know, it's, as a Westerner coming over to an African um, tribal culture and community, um, they can understand some of the business concepts that we were sharing, but it's being able to put it into practice, learning to work together, because they, were all, they all had to compete to survive, and it's the fittest of survival out there. So, yeah, James and Jesse have put some money together for them to have training for three days. Now, V's been incredibly modest here because uh, actually V, with a massive marketing background, was able to be a bit of a consultant out there and made a huge difference, so I'm, I'm, I'm led to hear. So, well done to you guys. Now, when you were thrown into this kind of uh, environment and, and culture, of, I've experienced it when I've been to India before. I mean, there's a lot that's different. There's a lot that's challenging. Now, Emma, I'm just going to ask you, what out of the kind of culture stood out to you? Oh, hi. Yeah, I think for me, um, Christianity was probably very, very different over there. Um, like James was saying, we went to see a lot of projects. So there are a lot of, sort of Christians out there doing really like great work. Um, but I think I realised um, how desperate they have to be um, and how much they have to trust in God. And it made me realise that I'm really not very desperate for God whatsoever. Um, and it kind of left me with a question about how do you... How are you passionate about God? How, yeah, how do you try and follow God when, like in it, for my world here, where I don't, I don't really have to. That's fair enough. It is a, a completely different environment. You have a just an interesting fact, don't you, Andy? Um, yeah, just just as a bit of background, um, seventy-five percent of the population of Tanzania, and and that probably goes for the whole of Africa actually, seventy-five percent of them are under twenty-two. Uh, they've lost a whole generation um, to principally AIDS. Um, so that means orphanages, uh, widows, and a tr just a tremendous amount of help that's needed out there uh, just for them to all survive. Brilliant. As Emma was saying, there is an absolute desperation. You know, you see people living and, and praying and, and on a day-to-day -day basis. It's fantastically uh, different to what we're used to, but incredibly inspirational. Now, Jesse, you have a great story. When you're in that environment and you're, you know, you're forced almost to rely on God and see God come through, what happened to you? 
Um, being like on a mission trip, I guess that we were like kind of going to have to step out and do things that maybe were quite uncomfortable. And part of that kind of really excited me, but most of the time I felt really like, oh, I don't want to do that. I really want to just run away. And um, we had a chance to do like a devotion for some students, about 30 to 40 of them. And um, Linda asked us, you know, do any of you want to do it? And I was really like, oh you know, this is my chance, but I really don't want to. And the night before, kind of God was putting this, you know, a message on my heart that I wanted to, you know, like talk to them about. And I was just kind of wrestling with God, really like, you can't make me do it. I don't want to. Like, you know, like, there's no way I'm going to. And then in the end, like, I heard God kind of say, like, I want these students to hear what I want them, you know, like what I want to say to them. And I was a bit like, oh, Okay, <laughs> like, and it kind of kind of shocked me in a way, but it made me realize that I need to kind of push past those feelings and kind of, you know, go for it because God wants to speak to his people. And that really like was a le lesson for me. I think that's a lesson for all of us. We've all been in that place where we're, we're needing to step out more than we are. Anyway, this is, uh, this is a fan that was a fantastic mission trip, but it was all part of a bigger journey these guys are on, which is, uh, as I said at the beginning, they're part of a discipleship year that started last September, the first one we've ever run. It's been an absolute privilege to have these guys. Uh, so I just want to ask you a few questions about that, FK. Let me just explain quickly. So part of the discipleship year, they have a Sunday where they're running around church. You've probably seen them serving in all various different areas. On a Monday, they, there's a whole day of training and teaching and equipping. Uh, we started off biblical theology and then we looked on to uh, outreach and community aspects. This time we're looking at leadership. So there's a huge range of teaching aspects we go into. And then Tuesdays, they're placed with a particular pastor where they just serve and, and do project work and various other things. So it's a huge challenge. Uh, let me ask you the, the starting question, if I may. Why did you sign up for the discipleship year? Um, I'm going to uh, hand over to Andy again, I think. Uh, well, principally, it was just to get closer to God. Um, secondly, I suppose um, the, my Bible knowledge was absolutely useless, and I just wanted to take take a whole year just to just to study the Bible, which has been fantastic. Uh, and the other point as well was I, I, I did 25 years for uh, in banking, and I just wanted a career break, so it was an excellent opportunity. Yeah, um, I was working in a marketing job and just kind of felt. Um, there was no real purpose um, to what I was doing. I couldn't see it at the time. And I love studying and academia. I'm not academic, but I wanted to study more. So I was looking for a course actually up north, which I was going to apply to. And then Richard told me about the discipleship year. Um, so I thought I'd do it closer to home. Oh, yeah. Um, I think I'd been sensing um, that God was calling me just to be still and um, to wait on him. Um, for about the past 10 years or so. Um, so um, after 10 years, after trying to implement a structure uh, for myself, it just wasn't happening. So I decided to put myself like in an external structure to kind of force me to do that. Brilliant. One of the things I've absolutely loved about these guys is um, just a variety of backgrounds and reasons for doing the course. So Simon, who's not here, he's married, he's, he's got a child, um, he runs his own business, but he was just saying, I need a challenge that, that God's lifting me up to. Emma, as she rightly said, looking for structure. James is a bit different. He's a brand new Christian. He was off to join the army and suddenly turned around and decided actually he needed to do something completely different and God called him to this place. Great testimony if you ever get a chance to ask James any of those questions. Jesse, uh, who's been around the church since he was born, I think, 
pretty much. And she's been interning for the last few years. But again, it's, it's not just serving. It's about growing as well. And, and EMV have already shared those. Uh, I, I want to rush on to the last question, because we're running out of time. But one of the things I would say as well is, is you know, in, in this place where we've given up a few days for a year, there has to be a certain ability to rely on God for provision. Um, and James, again, has a fantastic story of that. Within the first three months uh, of sacrificing and wondering how God's going to come through, uh, he had given to him a new car, uh, a place to live, and a new job, all within the first three months. I mean, that is amazing. So in all these cases, and, and we're moving to the last question now, which is about how, you know, how they've changed, what's happened, how they've grown. But in all these cases, God has just constantly come through for them. So let, let's go through all of you, if we, were, if we could. So what happened? Why, why did you do it? And, and not why did you do it? Sorry, what did you get from it? Tell us that. Uh, well, I, I wanted to get closer to God, and, and I started to hear from God um, during, we, we worship every Monday and Tuesday mornings, uh, and I just started getting pictures and words uh, that I'd never, ever had um, at all during worship. I, I just felt I was completely empty with that, and they've all of a sudden started appearing, which has been fantastic. Um, yeah, what have I got from the course? Um, I think the most important thing is is um, wanting to be able to hear from God for myself. Um, I come from a, a very codependent family where I was always told what to think and what to do. And um, learning to have autonomy and to stand um, strong in my own faith and to go to God instead of other people has been um, really challenging for me, but it's taught me a lot. Um, I guess God's been working a lot of things through, like, out in me. Um, the past year and one of the things I found really difficult was like communicating when I had a problem with something or I needed help and kind of people here like the staff and the people in my group just kind of challenged me on it and really supported me through it and it just felt like a family kind of you know you can do this and it was just amazing for me. Um, so obviously very new to this so I just had hundreds and hundreds of questions and then they'd be answered another 100 questions about those answers to 100 questions and so forth uh, but the most important you know, amazing thing that I've learned is that, you know, Jesus saved my life. I think, you know, that is, that's just what I've learned and I've just stuck to that and that's pretty much it, yeah. All of the above. <laughs> um, yeah, just an incredibly supportive uh, group and a very, very safe place um, to share or to, like V was saying and Andy, to try stuff out. Each of these guys has so much more that they're, uh, they're holding back, and it's, it's absolutely right. And if you ever get a chance, come and ask them questions, ask them what they got from this course. Um, and as Emma, I think, says it absolutely well, it's a safe place where they've been able to grow and be challenged and be moved beyond anything they've experienced before. I'm using their words. I'm not just making that up, I promise you. Uh, let me just say one more thing, um, and then Andy's got a quick thank you if that's okay. If you are interested in finding out more about the Discipleship Year, uh, you can download the stuff off the website. There's application books on that over there or on the main desk, speak to these guys. They have so many stories or come and ask me any questions. If you're looking for a challenge for the next year from September, whether it's a career break or whether it's just something new, whatever it is, this is definitely worth you know, thinking about and inquiring about and, and digging deeper into. Uh, one last thing from Andy and then we're finished. Yeah, on behalf of us all, I'd just like to say thank you so much for all your sponsorship uh, for our Tanzania trip and all the support you've given us uh, throughout the year. And also thank you to our hosts, um, David and Judy, Celeste Parents, while we were out in Tanzania for um, the wonderful welcome and hospitality we had. So thank you. Give them a round of applause. Thank you, guys.
Wasn't that great? It's so good to hear, you know, so much happens in this church. It's so good to take time just giving thanks to God and hearing some stories. But it, it just plays so beautifully into this, this new little mini-series theme, Heroes. You know, what takes a banker? What takes a marketing uh, consultant? What takes a student? What takes, a, um, I think Emma worked for MTV, didn't you, or something like that. Uh, what takes people like that who, who are going to turn their back on that and, and take risks? I mean, they didn't tell you, and I've heard these stories around the, the coffee machine, of, of the, the hours and hours they spent in Land Rovers bouncing across the country. There were two occasions when they were in mortal danger. You know, uh, What does that? Well, uh, that's a good question, and, and that's, I think, why why, why Jesus has so much love and compassion for local heroes, for, for those who, who give of themselves and sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom and for the love of Jesus. And that's why we're, we're celebrating that today, but we're thinking about that over the next few weeks. One other little sort of um, celebration that I want to share with you, and that's that uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Tara Gathered, that's... Um, Richard's wife, I don't know whether Tara is, is in here with us, maybe not, but she, she was here earlier on, and uh, she was awarded a, uh, an Inclusive Communities Award by, by the mayor, and was, that was presented to her, and, and it's for the work that uh, we did as a church with our Christmas Day meal. Many of you know that, that for years now we've been opening up on Christmas, and and people have been sacrificing their time, their energy, and their money. And it was originally an, an idea that Tara conceived. So she you know, got the award and represents us all in that. But I mean, last Christmas, you know, we, we, we served 172 Christmas dinners. I mean, that is amazing. And I, I came down, and I can see some of you, you know, who are involved in that team and, and, and have been for years. It's absolutely staggering. And, and yet, generally speaking, that, you know, we've done it for years, nobody even pays blind bit of notice, but we do it for him. But on this occasion, Tara did get that award. Let, let's just give her but us a, a little clap there, you know? So we take teaching the Bible seriously in this church. We spend a great deal of time trying to ingest the Word of God. Uh, and so in the last 10 minutes or so, I, I just want to ask a question, do a little mini-study. You know, what makes a hero? What, what is the, 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 the distinctives? You know, what, what helps us in that, that journey where we become one of these godly people in the land? And, and if you've got a Bible, it'll come up on the screen if you haven't, but if you've got a Bible or you're following on your iPhone or BlackBerry, turn with me, please, to, to Luke chapter 6. Just got four or five verses here. I just want to share and, and just unravel a little bit. So Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 17, and Jesus here is in the midst of his teaching ministry. Many of you have heard of the Sermon on the Mount. Well, this is a passage that is commonly called the Sermon on the Plain. And uh, I, it was some of the detail uh, that, that just caught me this week, and I thought, that's very interesting. In this, this little passage, we'll just read it. Jesus went down with them and stood on a level place. And a large crowd of his disciples was, was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. You know, as I read this, and 
Um, I was at a little conference with the pastoral staff this week, and Tri Robinson, a vineyard pastor from Boise, uh, was just, just pointed this out to us, and I thought, you know, that, that's so helpful, Lord, because it's absolutely on the money, as it were, on the button, as to what I want to share over these next few weeks. But he pointed out that there are actually four people groups, four, four types of people within this little passage here. So what we have it is that Jesus is the new thing in town. Suddenly Jesus is no longer the obscure teacher from Galilee. Suddenly the whole world and his dog has wakened up to the fact that there's something extraordinary happening in and around the person of Jesus. And so people from all over the area, from the coast, from the hill country, they all come together to Jesus, and, and most of them have an agenda. You know, there will be those who are just there out of sheer curiosity and because their mate's going, but the, the, fact of the fact of the matter is many are going because they have a need. They're driven by need. They're drawn into this, this place because they, are, they, they have this need. And for them, it's, they've got sickness, there's, there's mental illness, there's demons, there's all sorts of stuff. And so they come to this place where Jesus is, is teaching, and the, the Bible simply refers to them as, as you know, people, a, a great number of people. A great you know, multitude, a throng, some versions say, a throng of people. And you can sort of see them sort of jostling for position and struggling with you know, kids and deck chairs and cool boxes and all the rest of it. They've come to the party because something's going on. So there's this great multitude of people. But in addition to that, in addition to that, that little passage also, also refers to large crowds of disciples large crowds of disciples. There's a distinction between the, 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 you know, the great throng and the multitude, but there are large crowds of disciples. Now, some of you are thinking, wait a minute, I'm, I'm confused there, Chris, because weren't there just 12 disciples? Well, uh, we'll come on to that in just a minute. But actually, the Bible is wanting to make this distinction between those who are just sort of, uh, what, what, what one can call them, uh, spiritual tourists or something, there is a distinction between those and those who have now started to follow Jesus and, and, are, and are believing in his message. And there, there is something that has happened between, you know, that has made them take a, a step of commitment. Now, within that group of that large crowd of disciples, there's also the 12, and yep, you were not wrong. Uh, the scriptures tell us that Jesus prayed all night one night and then went down and he, point, he appointed 12 people to be those that he called apostles or became known as apostles. And they were largely the founders of the church. Uh, after Jesus had died and ascended into heaven, those were they who were commissioned to take his message and the kingdom of God to the four corners of the earth. We're here today because they did their job, as I often say. And so the 12 then were church planters, they were they were the leaders of the early church, and they were distinct from the large crowd of disciples. But you know, even in that 12, even in that 12, there was a further distinction, which is sometimes missed, and that was there were the three. And the three were Peter, James, and John, and they seemed to be someone who, uh, they, they seemed to be people that Jesus uh, invested in particularly. He mentored them very closely. Of course, Peter became the leader of the, of the early church. And uh, so there was this kind of, I'm not saying it's necessarily a, project, a, a progression, but it, it certainly looks like that here. But there is definitely, in that little passage in Luke 6, 
this sort of sense of a variety of different people there for different reasons and at different stages of their spiritual walk. So the question then is, you know, if we're talking about heroes, what makes a hero? What makes this distinction from just those who show up to those who are those who God calls heroes? It's a good question, and we're going to be looking at that a little bit over the next few weeks. But two things I wanted to just draw your attention to today before we, we go and have our pizza lunch together or whatever it is we're doing. The first thing is that the disciples, very wisely in my opinion, on one day, one morning, said to Jesus, they said, what must we do to do the work that God requires? John chapter 6, verse 8, I think. What must we do to do the work that God requires? They wanted to get to the nub of it. They didn't want to miss it. They, they, they wanted to say, okay, Jesus, we think we know what you're talking about. Just, just say it again. Just tell us what it is that you want us to do because we can you know, tell that this is important to you and we want to get it right. And Jesus replied somewhat enigmatically in a way. He didn't give them a great sort of list, a sort of a strategy for this, that, and the other. He didn't do, say, okay, guys, I want to sit down, a planning meeting, let's talk about this. Good question. Thank you for that question. Didn't do that. What he actually said was this. He said, the work of God is this. The work of God is this. To believe in the one whom he has sent. And that word believe is very rich in the New Testament Greek. It means trust. It's almost stop trying, trust in. Put your hope for salvation in Jesus Christ. If you get that, you have started. You have made a significant start on the work of God. That's what God the Father wants. There's no shortcuts. There's, you can't fill your life with good works and found orphanages and all that kind of thing. And we've done that here. But... Actually, the, the most crucial underlying distinction is that, is that a, a, a hero, a disciple, is one who has put his trust in Jesus Christ. Now, for some of you here, that might be a very relevant point to, you know, to, to highlight today because that may be something that, that you haven't done yet. Maybe you've been coming along, you've made a few friends, you, you've even been to life group, you, you like what's happening, you like being involved in our social action, and gosh, we do quite a bit of that these days. And so you've been carried along and you're enjoying it and it's working for you. But the truth of the matter is, actually, you for yourself have not grasped that thing that James said, that Jesus is your Savior. He is here to save you. You need saving. Your sin will take you to hell in double quick, quick time unless it is dealt with at the foot of the cross. What I mean by that is you need to come to God and say, I am a sinner, please forgive me. Please forgive me. I want you to forgive my friends and my uncle, my auntie and my mom and all the rest of it, my dad, what he did for me and all these other issues. These are all important. But one has to come to that point where you for yourself believe that Jesus Christ is your savior. If you were here last week, you will know that I did another teaching, not related specifically to this, but I said that there was a, there was a key moment on, on, the, on one of the little journeys where Jesus asked his disciples, he said, who do people say that I am? And Peter came back with the reply, you are the, son, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Bingo, hole in one, got it. It was a, a, a crucial moment. 
And in Mark's gospel, it all pivots really on that statement, a crucial moment. So the first thing of the two things I want to give you today is that a disciple is one who recognizes that Jesus is more than a, you know, somebody who feeds them occasionally or, or, or is kind to them or a nice person to hang out with, tell some funny stories, good company, cast out my, my daughter's demons, whatever, all these other things which Jesus does and still does today, praise God. But they've made that, they've come to that point of realization that, my gosh, I need saving. I need Jesus. Very important. The second thing is this. The crowds came because they were, were needy. There's nothing wrong in being needy. In fact, the scriptures time and again say Jesus was deeply moved by the need he saw in the crowds. You know, there was an occasion where he decides to take a bit of a time out. He says to his disciples, look, we've been uh, on a ministry trip. You're all exhausted. Come on, get in the boat. We'll go to the other side. Nice and quiet over there. We'll have a few, few hours, R and R, before we pitch back in it. Just let's put our feet up and relax and just sleep or whatever you need to do. And so they're looking forward to this. Oh, great, a bit of holiday. So they get in the boat and off they go. But what happens is as they're setting off, the crowd see them slipping away. And the word goes out and the crowd begins to follow them, track them around the edge of the lake. This great, great seething mass of hum humanity are sort of struggling to get around. And Jesus sees this and he's profoundly moved by it. He doesn't say as I probably would, oh, my goodness, you know, can't have a few hours peace and quiet, you know, how irritating, you know, you settle, you know it is, you settle down to watch your favorite movie or watch the cricket if you're a cricket fan, and suddenly the doorbell goes, and you think, oh, you know, it's happened to us all. Jesus does not do that. Jesus sees the crowd who are just purely and simply a great seething mass of need, and it makes his stomach churn. And next thing they know, they're pulling over and they're having another great big huge ministry time. There's nothing wrong in being a needy person. We say, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Come as you are. Whatever is driving you, whatever is compelling you, you are welcome here. Just don't stay as you are. Now, at the end of the day, on that day, that sermon on the plains, what will have happened is that mums and dads will have gathered up the deck chairs, the cool box, the litter, gathered up their tired and rather fractious kids. There'd be dads with kids over their shoulders who fell asleep there as they went back to the car park to try and remember where they parked the car and they were going home, bath and bed, you know, the kind of thing. That was happening in those days, except maybe not with a car park, but whatever. So there were those who sort of gratefully and tiredly gathered up what they did and they set off. But of that great multitude, that throng that, that turned to go back home wherever home was for them, there were some that hung back. Some who couldn't tear themselves away quite so quickly or so easily. Some who hung back, perhaps a little unsettled, perhaps a little perturbed, perhaps feeling restless, perhaps even feeling a little dissatisfied. And they hung back and they sort of hung around Jesus and got in his way as he was trying to get the guys organized and on to the next thing. And, and then finally, one of them would say to Jesus, okay, it's been a great day. Thank you very much. Like the teaching. It was great. Okay. 
what can I do to help? What can I do to help? You see, in the kingdom of God, consumers become givers. That is a defining moment. That is a, that is a distinctive of a disciple. That's the first step from being just one of the throng, one of the multitude, one of the spiritual tourists, and we, we see a lot of them. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you hang back, sometimes with joy and excitement, and, oh, this is really good, but often with questions and concerns, but nonetheless, you cannot tear yourself away. And you say to Jesus, you say, here's my life. I've made a bit of a mess of it. It may not amount to much, but what can I do to help? Those are two foundational distinctives of a disciple, and those two foundational distinctives turn you into heroes in God's eyes, the godly who live in the land, first and foremost knowing that Jesus is your Savior, and secondly, signing up to work, to stack chairs, to do crowd control, to clear up litter after the meeting, whatever it is, in whatever capacity. Those are two foundational distinctives. And God looks upon his, his people in the midst of the press of, of, of others. And he sees their struggles and he sees their difficulties. He sees them rushing down here on a Christmas morning where many families are at home opening presents and enjoying a coffee and perhaps a special breakfast. He sees them rushing down here with a tray of Brussels sprouts. And he says, it warms his heart, it stirs him, and he says, these are my godly ones. These are my heroes. So God bless you, heroes every one of you. And if you're not a hero yet, well, I hope that soon you will become one. And stay with us as we explore this theme still further. Let's all stand. Let's have the worship team back up just to finish off. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to say thank you to you because you turn ordinary men and women like us into heroes. It's all through you that this is possible. It's through you, Jesus, that, that we come to know that we are loved by the Father, saved by the Father, but also that you have a purpose for us. And so we ask, Lord God, that you would continue to visit us, continue to make yourself known to us, but that also, Lord God, we would take that step of faith that turns us just from one of the crowd into a crowd of disciples. So thank you, Lord, for your presence, and thank you for this challenge, and all in Jesus' name. Amen.